All right, well, hey, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. Again, we'll have an opportunity to hang out and uh, get to know one another as, uh, as a church, as a community, whether you're new or not. Uh, for those of you uh, that are new, my name is Prentice. Uh, I get the privilege to be uh, the pastor here and to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, and uh, for those of you that have been around, we go through series and books. And uh, today we start a new series. Uh, really, it's just called Gather, Grow, and Go. And so uh, just like how we invited the children up here, we all know what it feels like to be in uh, different seasons and, and routines. And uh, for some reason, even though January 1 is the uh, kickoff of the new year, uh, for a lot of us, it feels like the fall or September and October feels like a fresh start. And so uh, just like every September and October, we just spend a few weeks about uh, sharing God's calling for us as a community. You can call this just a few weeks about our vision, our understanding of what it feels like and means to be the church, uh, particularly here in West Seattle. So this morning, uh, I just want to talk about why we gather there's a lot of different reasons as to why we gather, uh, but just a few things I want to unpack. Uh, the, the verses uh, that come in, in mind as we start, uh, oh, if we could take that background off, comes from the very beginning of time in Genesis. It says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. Don't read too much into this. I'm going to unpack it. Just know that the word partner uh, equates to equality. Uh, we are unashamedly uh, an egalitarian church, so I want to make sure that even though that is a primary text, uh, that we're understanding this as equal partnership that God is calling us to. Uh, and so with that said, let me pray and we'll get to work. God, thank you so much that you have called us to be the church. Not only the church, but people who do life with one another, to share with one another the good, the bad, the ugly. And God, may this truly be a place of hope and peace and restoration, because uh, God, we know that in this sanctuary alone that there's so many different stories that people are bringing to the table. Again, whether joys or even deep heartaches. May this be a place, a sacred, mysterious place where you meet with them and you bring healing and reconciliation. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. So for a lot of us, we know that this idea of gathering is nothing new. Right? This idea of gathering is, is nothing new uh, for most of us, especially in light of Seahawks Sunday. A lot of us, we've been to different sporting events. Right? Maybe it's a football game or a baseball game or a soccer game. For many of us, we gather and have gathered around events such as sporting. Many of us have gathered around a concert. Many of us have, have gathered around festivals. Many of us have gathered around birthdays and game nights and holidays and momentous occasions and, and anniversaries. For a lot of us, I would say most of us, this idea of gathering is nothing new. We do it all the time. As a matter of fact, today we have a one o'clock Seahawks game. Uh, and a lot of you, or many of you, or some of you will go to the game to gather and hoot and holler for our Seahawks. Uh, and it's going to be a great time because we're going to win, right? Can I get an amen? 
Okay, yes, some of us. So I understand that 95% of you are not from Seattle, uh, but for those of you that are or that live here now, uh, we have the excitement to root for our Seahawks. Anyway, so all that to say is that gathering is nothing new. It's been around from the beginning of time. And my point is this, that the gathering and to be with others around a particular occasion, around a person, around an activity, around a sporting event, this is something we've done from the beginning. And we understand that it's because this idea of connection and being together and celebrating and holding hands and being together and praising and celebrating, this idea is, is, is nothing new and it's the way that we were created. See, we understand or should understand that subconsciously or, sub, or, or consciously that our natural human desire is to be connected with others. It is, it is something that is in the deepest part of our souls that it doesn't matter what you identify as, whether you're introvert or extrovert. And believe me, uh, some of you guys may be surprised to hear this, but I am a big time introvert. But even for us who identify as introverts, uh, there's something in the way that we're created that longs to be connected with others. Again, when we see that God created the universe, the waters, the land, the animals, the plants, each time that God created something each day, God said, it is good. It is good. And when we talk about this idea of good in the original language, I want us to get over this idea of like, oh, that's great. Oh, that burger was good. Oh, that was a good day. Oh, mazel tov. You know, like tonight's going to be a good night. It comes from the word tov. This Hebrew word tov means good. But this Hebrew understanding of tov actually means it's something that's life-giving. So when God created the animals and the plants and the waters and the universe, God created something. And out of that creation, God says, it is good. It reflects a sense of beauty because God created it. A sense of thriving because God authored it. Each day after creation, God says, it is good. And then something else happens a few verses later. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. And we read this. Uh, I will make him a helper and his par- as his partner. Again, partner denoting equality, equal partnership. For the first time, the Bible introduces something that was not good. For, for, for the time before that, God created, God did, God moved, God acted, God made this beautiful earth, this planet, and filled it and said, it is tov, it is good, life-giving, beautiful. And for the very first time, about God's own creation, no less, says, it is not good. It is low, meaning no, low tov. Again, get your mind out of this idea of something just wasn't good or the dinner wasn't good. Oh, that game wasn't good or that activity wasn't good. What low, no good, low, tov, what that means is the very opposite of what good was supposed to be from the beginning. If tov is about goodness and beauty and thriving because God created it, lotob is denoting the very opposite of that, that it denotes darkness, loneliness, 
Not life giving, but life taking. One commentator describes lotov, uh, not good, uh, as, as an explosive phrase signifying death and darkness and void of God's heart. You see, before chapter 2, verse 18, it seems as if Adam, uh, the first human, had everything going for himself. He had animals, he had plants, he had food, he had the beautiful creation. And if, and if by anyone's definition, man, this first human had it good. And yet there was nothing about the very things that were created that was able to bring the fullness of God's intentions, desires, and joys into Adam's life. And so God created an equal partner, Eve, and then God categorized humanity, then after that, as fully tov, as good. See, it wasn't until there was companionship and community <clears throat> and togetherness that low tov, no good, was undone. There's this uniqueness about being together. Remember a few years ago, I was volunteering uh, as a chaplain in Orange County. This is several years ago now. Uh, and I was meeting with different men and, and just having conversations with them around faith, about decision-making, about the future. And I remember meeting this one gentleman who was so bright and just so full of personality. Uh, and he was describing to me uh, about eight months that he spent in solitary confinement, which to me, or which he described to me, was pretty much a jail inside of a jail. And, and in this time, he was describing that he has, <clears throat> he has to be in <clears throat> this lockdown, in this cage, for lack of a better word, for 23 hours, uh, and sometimes he gets one hour of going outside, and he would describe it to another cage, just slightly bigger, uh, to exercise, to be outside, to do whatever, but still by himself in solitary confinement. And, and he got different privileges, he says, taken away, certain types of food, snacks, and, and uh, commissary, and all these things. And he said, Prince, what I remember about that season of being in solitary confinement is not having all these good things taken away from me. It was the lack of human connection. He said it wasn't the food or the lack of good food. It wasn't the lack of any type of entertainment. It wasn't even the lack of uh, space because the space shrunk. It was the utter and unfathomable loneliness. And he says if you go there, loneliness literally drives people to insanity. Because again, you see, there's something, there's something about being in close proximity, as we even talked about earlier, with others, that drives, that gives birth to something so sacred, something so intimate, and something so mysterious. And I would argue, and it's something that nothing else could provide for the human soul. You can try. You can, you can give yourself all the cool things in the world. You can give yourself... Uh, uh, the best job, the greatest degree, the greatest uh, material possessions. 
big, you know, bank accounts, whatever it is. We go back to the creation in chapter 1. God created all these things. Adam had all these great things. When in the world's eyes, Adam had everything, and yet he had nothing. So we can fill ourselves with all these distractions and all these things and upper mobility, but unless we have connection with others, our soul will always be void of something that only that, connect, that connection can provide. That's why God created us. That's why we go to these events. Sure, you can watch the baseball game on TV. Sure, you could uh, listen to the person uh, on the radio. Sure, you can celebrate your birthday by yourself if, if you really wanted to. And some of you do. I know I do. But people always ask me, what's your birthday wish? Like, just to be by myself and to read a book. And that's all, that sounds awesome. Sure, you can do all that, but we all know that there's something about being in close proximity where something sacred and intimate and mysterious happens. I don't know what it is, and a lot of us, we don't know what it is, but it is what it is. That's what happens because God created us to be in that connection, and without that connection, God says it's low toe. Remember, two years ago, uh, I was invited to a soccer game. And up to that point, I never watched soccer, the Sounders. I don't even know when soccer season is. Uh, I never played soccer growing up. I love sports, so I just never played soccer. I had no interest in soccer. But someone was like, hey, let's go to the Sounders game. And for whatever reason, I said, okay. I, I just went. And, and even going to the soccer game, I remember having this attitude of like, I don't even know why I'm going. I don't even like soccer. I sat down, and I don't know what... It is about the, first of all, the Sounders. Sounder fans are crazy. They're insane. Uh, and I don't know what it is, but I felt like I was just in the midst of that. And by the end of the game, I don't even know who won. I don't even know who they play. I don't even remember. All I know is I made like 20 best friends within those three hours. I was just high-fiving. We were hooting and hollering. I didn't even, they were doing certain chants that I had no idea what was happening. I just kind of did what they did, and it was amazing. It was amazing because we know that when we gather, there's this connection that nothing else can provide. It was amazing. Sacred, intimate, mysterious to the human soul. And yet, the problem is our culture convinces us of this, of this lie that we don't need this connection. We don't need to be intimately, mysteriously, and sacredly bonded with others to have the good life, the tove life, life-giving, God-authored, beautiful life. It's no surprise that the level of intimacy has gone down, yet the access to pornography has been an all-time high. Human interaction is being replaced by text messages, and we all know that. I'm guilty of that. Net worth has skyrocketed to many individuals, yet social capitalism is seen no longer as a priority. Sharing lives is done through social, through social media platforms. I mean, I'm guilty of this. Have you ever convinced yourself you know how someone is doing based off their latest posts on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or whatever it is? We feel like we know each other. We feel like we know what's going on in people's lives only because we've come across their profile on some social media platform. The mundane activities in our lives used to force us to leave the comforts of our own home. Like grocery shopping, shopping for clothes, going out to eat, whatever it is. It forces us to go outside and be around others, whether you liked it or not. It just forces us to do that. 
And yet now we can do all that from home. Online shopping. Online grocery shopping. I do that. Online going out to eat because I pick a restaurant on Uber Eats and I select it and it comes to my house. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to change. I can have that food right at my house. And believe me, I love it. I'm grateful for this type of technology. This isn't a knock on technology. In fact, some of you guys know that uh, next month I will be getting married. Uh, Yes, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Don't thank me. She said yes. I don't know why. But so uh, next month, 26 days, 7 hours and 30 minutes, I'll be getting married. Uh, And uh, I was, you know, we're trying to figure out what I was going to wear, what my groomsmen were going to wear. And so I picked out a tuxedo. My groomsmen, I had them pick out these suits. And guess what? It was all done through an app. Okay, no longer going into places. All I just said, hey, this is amazing. You just punch in the numbers, you send it in, and boom, you get, it, you get your outfit in the mail. I love it. And so, again, I, I'm not knocking on technology. I love technology. I'm grateful for it. Our world has advanced and benefited from it. Uh, and, and I would say the problem, the lie that we're experiencing is bigger than the lie of just technology, because that's not necessarily the problem at all. It's that we've sadly mistaken and placed convenience over connection. We've replaced connection with convenience. We've replaced intimacy uh, with, with isolation. And, and this biggest lie saying you don't need others. You can do it all by yourself. It can be quicker. It can be better. You don't need others. This lie has seeped into the church. We have believed that as a church. The latest uh, Barna research which is a survey of research around churches. It says less than 20% of Americans regularly attend church. In 2016, 31% identified as Protestant, which is probably in 2019, probably lower than 31% now, which in contrast, 71% in the 1950s identified as Protestant Christians. There's been what we call the rise of the nuns, where, hey, do you go to church? Do you, you know, believe in God? And, and the person would say, no, I have no belief, no affiliation, no connection to a church. So there's the rise of the nuns. 59% of millennials raised in the church have dropped out for whatever reason, but we see that in the churches. Our church is a little unique. We have a lot of you guys here sometimes. <laughs> Almost every mainline denomination has declined 20% since the 1970s. Barney Institute also says that one of the biggest reasons, one of the biggest reasons uh, that we've seen this kind of drop-off uh, is because of this phrase, and they call it the I love Jesus but not the church generation. And, and, and I don't know about you, but if you've been around the church and you hang out with people that maybe have once been connected to the church or once not, we've heard this phrase before that I love Jesus, I am a Christian, but I don't need to gather, I don't need to be connected to a church. And, and if anything like me, you've also met people that says, I don't even love Jesus and I don't love especially the church. For various reasons, and I would say, to our shame, for reasons that I don't blame them. Hypocrisy, judgmentalism, violence even, hatred, irrelevance. And and let me just say this, if you have ever experienced this from the church, I am so sorry. And thank you for taking a risk by showing up to this one, this imperfect, not have it all together mediocre pastor type of church. Thank you for showing up. Because a lot of us, we've been burned. 
And, and I said last week that for some reason, this church has been gifted, and I would say it's a gift, not a burden, uh, that is filled with people that have been uh, burned or, or de-churched is what I call it. For some reason, Bethany Wessel seems to be a haven for the people with those experiences. Maybe because I've had those experiences. And I'm so grateful that we have that very unique calling here in our community. But at the same time, it's sad to see that many of us, though we were created to live this life of tov, of goodness, of God authorship, of beauty, of connection, we've replaced that because of this lie that we've been convinced of, that we don't need anything, we supplement for the things that may distract us, but that distraction is only last for some time. Because again, Genesis 1 and 2, we were just designed for connection. Adam, before Eve, something was missing. It was low tov. It was not good. In comes Eve. Partnership. Intimacy. Fellowship. Togetherness. And finally, it was back to tov. It was good. And that, we get to Matthew chapter 16, 18, and I love this. It says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. We gather because God has called us to be in connection, in community with one another, and through that belief, Jesus says, I tell you, and he says to Peter, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not have anything against it. Now, I love what Jesus is doing here. He's talking about connection. He's talking about our design. And all of that, Jesus says to Peter, even before this, I don't have this up here, but there's this conversation about uh, Peter to, from, Peter to, from Jesus to Peter, and Jesus saying, do you believe that? Do you believe that you were created by God? Do you believe that I am from God? Do you believe that I am the Messiah? And, and Peter says, yes, I believe. And there's that famous line, if you've been around the church, Jesus says, Peter, who do you say that I am? Who do you claim that I am? What have I done for you? Who am I? And, and Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are the one that God sent to, to culminate God's creation of connection, of intimacy. Of relationship. And from that response, Jesus says, Peter, ah, now I tell you, you are Peter. Now, Peter in, in, the, in the Greek means rock. The Greek word petros, rock. Peter, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, it seems kind of redundant because in the original language, it essentially says, I tell you, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. What Jesus is saying is that, yes, you are Peter Petros. The funny thing, or the interesting thing is, but on this rock, not Petros, Petros. So I, want, I don't want you to miss that nuance. Petros is masculine. You're, that's your name, Peter. But yet, on this rock, Petros, feminine, same word, different conjugation, I will build my church. And so what Jesus is not saying is, Peter, Apollo, you know, St. Peter, I'm going to build my church around you. Obviously, that's not true. The church is built around Jesus. 
Well, what Jesus is saying, yes, Peter, you are Peter. You have just professed your belief uh, that when I said or asked, who do you say that I am? You said, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior of the world. You are the one that God brought to bring to completion the creation. And what Jesus is saying is, yes. On that rock, Petros, that philosophy, that idea, that belief, that, con- that conviction, not around Peter himself, but Peter's wisdom and what Peter expressed, his conviction, Jesus says, it's upon that I will build my church on the Petros. So we gather, Jesus says, based on the very things that Peter expressed in his convictions. That you are the Messiah, you are the healer, you are the Savior. And many of us, like I prayed earlier, whatever it is, you guys bring your own stuff. I bring my own stuff too. And Jesus says, here, as the church of broken people, we will experience and encounter the Messiah, the Savior, in the very condition that we bring. You will be the church, based around these beliefs, around who Jesus Christ is. And I'm gonna, we're going to kind of nerd out for a second. I want to break this down just really quickly so we understand what we're talking about. Peter, you will be the church. Based on your conviction and belief, you will be the church. Well, what is the church? The church in Greek is the word ekklesia. It's a conjugation of two words. The first word is kaleo, to call. The second, ek, is out of. And so many scholars and commentators have said the word ekklesia translates into the called out ones. The called out ones. Jesus says, through you, Peter, through your conviction, and those of us who share that conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are the called ones, and I bring you, and I will build my church around you and with you, And you will be the ones that are called. If you're part of the church, you are called out ones. No matter what you've been through, no matter what mistakes you've been through, no matter where you are in your spirituality, in your faith, if you claim to to believe and have a conviction and the faith of the life, in and through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, you are the called out ones. And then again, 2 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9, well, what are we called for? What are we called out of? It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, which is actually a radical thing to say. Because what Jesus, or uh, what Peter is saying is, now it's no longer actually, even though it says, but you are a chosen race, it's not really about a race. It's not about being an Israelite. It's not, being, it's not about being a Jew. It's about being connected in the church and the life and death of Jesus Christ that you have become a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God created us to be connected with one another. And without that connection, we're missing something in the deepest parts of our souls. And the worst part is our society, our culture, our worldview has said, that's okay. That's okay. 
then Jesus flips that lie upside down and says, actually, I've built this church so that you may come, that you may be connected, that you may experience community and fellowship and intimacy based on this mysterious belief and connection in the life and death and the resurrection of Jesus. And even Jesus, uh, it says in Acts, uh, or in the, New, in, in the gospel, it says that Jesus went to the temple. And in Acts, it says that we are to go to the temple regularly, it says. Because there's something about rhythm. There's something about rhythm. As God created and rested, there was a rhythm. This idea of rhythm is not a new concept. We have, it, we have different rhythms, right? You have different rhythms every day. You have rhythms weekly. You have rhythms yearly. Again, we're, we're going back into fall. It's a new beginning of this rhythm that's been going on for years and years and years. Rhythm brings order to chaos. That's the whole creation narrative. Rhythm creates space for rest. Again, God rested as part of that rhythm. And so as we understand that we are called out ones to be the marvelous light for others, may we experience the rhythm of gathering, of gathering, not being convinced of this lie that we don't need each other because there's something sacred as we talked about, there's something intimate as we talked about, there's something mysterious as we talked about when we gather, especially as the church, around the convictions that Jesus Christ is Lord on Peter's wisdom and discernment, will God create God's church? And so let me end with this when it comes to rhythm. We experience on, uh, on Sundays, and people always ask, why do we have to go to church? You know, like, I love Jesus. I can be a Christian, but I don't need the church. And again, just like I can watch baseball on TV, you're, you're right. This isn't me. And I want to be careful because I grew up in this legalistic environment saying, if you miss a day of church, then you are sinning, then you are you know, bad and you have to repent or whatever it is. And I always felt guilty for missing church. And that's not what I want to impose here today. Well, what I am saying is there's something, and I want us to believe that. I want us to have hope in this, that when we gather as a community around the conviction of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, something happens. Something mysterious, intimate, and sacred. And so we incorporate that in our rhythms of life, just like we have rhythms of life in everything else. In everything else, why should we not have a rhythm of life when it comes to our faith and connection with one another and our love for Christ as corporate worship. So we have this rhythm of worship where we worship together. It doesn't matter how great of a singer or a musician you are. And again, worship isn't just singing, but we gather together to sing and to pray and to hear and to listen and to speak truths into others. Yes, you can have church by yourself. But there's something about the rhythm of worship where we encounter Christ together. There's a rhythm of receiving. And for some of us, we're in a season where, where we just need to receive. We're hurt, we're burned, we're tired, we're exhausted. 
And in Matthew chapter 28, Matthew, or Jesus says, Come to me, all, you, all who are weary. And some of us are so weary. And Jesus says, I will give you rest. So we need to receive that. A rhythm of connection, not just with God, but with others. And know that when you don't show up, when you don't show up, our community, we miss something. In the way that you're gifted, in the way that you were created, our community misses out on that. A rhythm of rest. As we talked about, God gives us rest. Many of us, we work so hard, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. We're exhausted from family life. We're exhausted from relationships. We're exhausted from whatever heartache, heartache or pain or family or jobs or expectations, whatever it is. Will you just come here and receive rest? There's a rhythm of the sacred where we have rhythm in encountering God that we may not be able to encounter anyhow and anywhere else. And so we have what we call liturgy. If liturgy is not just for high church, like you know, the high big denominational type churches. Believe it or not, we may not call it that, but we do liturgy every single Sunday. Singing is liturgy. Reading is liturgy. Hearing is liturgy. Liturgy in Latin literally just means the work of the people. We come together around the conviction that Jesus is Lord and we worship in this space of rhythm, of receiving, of connecting, of rest, of sacredness. And so may we be that. May we come on Sundays May we gather, and again, not just on Sundays, we have small groups, we have uh, mentor-mentee relationships, we have your friendships. So I'm not being legalistic and saying it only happens on Sundays, but many of us, we ask, why do you gather on Sundays? This is why. This is why. In these days, I've been listening to different, you know, uh, candidates in, in politics, and there's so much conversations around uh, automation and, and artificial intelligence and things are going to be quicker and we won't need people and, and as true as that may be in certain fields I don't know if that could ever be true here for the church because we're designed and created for that connection to worship to receive, to connect, to rest and to experience the sacred and so right now I'm going to invite the worship team back up and as the worship team back, uh, comes back up I'm going to invite the communion servers as well. And this is our way of experiencing the sacred. Now on the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, Jesus says, take this cup. Take it in remembrance of me. He says, take this bread. This is my body that was broken for you. Take it. This is my body that was sacrificed for you. And so here at Bethany, we do what we call intinction. Well, you will grab a piece of bread, gluten-free bread for those of you, so don't worry. It's for everybody. To know that this was Jesus' body that was broken for you, and then you dip it into the cup that symbolizes Jesus' blood that was shed for us. And in the sacred moment of taking communion, what we call the Eucharist, literally meaning thanksgiving. We, we give thanks together and there's something so mysterious and so sacred that happens. And we truly believe at the Lord's table, at communion, that healing and restoration happens. So will you receive that this morning? Let me pray for us. God, thank you.
that you have built this church, the Church Universal, to be a space where we come together